So sometimes things happen, and um, when they go on, you're bummed and bothered and whatnot, but then as things progress, um, they kind of work out. Um, today, is, today is one of those days because um, through the wonder and magic and awe of technology, um, we have no words on the screens today. And so for worship, instead of the normal, just looking at the words and kind of singing along to them, it was a, you were forced to either A, totally zone out, which I hope you didn't do, um, or B, just be and listen and contemplate. And um, man, that last song, I, I'm the first time I had heard that song, but it's really interesting. Uh, you know, it's so great having, anytime we get to have Michael and Penny um, in with us, because uh, we were just talking last week at at a small group. For those of you who are part of the small group, we were just talking last week about songs of lament, and so for them to show up and you know we were talking about how we don't really do those. You show up and you're just God is great, God is good, yay, 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 are the kind of way we go about it. And how does that work when you're showing up and you're not in a time of life where God is great and God is good? And man, what a what an amazing song that was to even in those moments of sorrow and weeping to be able to still continue to sow into your faith and end on songs of joy. Um, and it actually is really great for what we're going to talk about today because um, all of us have something in common in this room. There's probably a few things we could find that we all have in common, but one of the things that all of us have in common is this, is that we have prayed and asked God for something and he didn't do it. That is a universal experience for everyone who has ever offered a prayer. Now, some of those prayers have been really trivial. As we've talked about over the last few weeks, you know, the prayer for the passing the test that you didn't study for. And I mean, that seems really big in the moment, but nobody really remembers the test. And that's not a thing. We've got, you know, oh Lord, let me get this date. Let me let it go well. And that seems huge at the moment, but in the big picture, maybe not. We actually offer up prayers and take up God's time asking for things like parking spaces. We, we do that. But some of the prayers that haven't been answered have been vitally important to you. Not just trivial surface things that were like, oh, well, this would make my life easier prayers. But there have been prayers that a, a marriage falling apart and prayers of desperation offered up or a sickness in which literally life hangs in the balance for someone and prayers are offered up and are not answered. Career opportunities that could change a life that didn't go how you wanted them to go. But whether it be on the surface level or on the deep level, all of us have prayed prayers that God just has not answered. And we've probably felt within those situations that, that God was either inattentive, like he wasn't paying attention and didn't hear it, or uncooperative, or maybe he was doing something, but he was really late to the ball game and we wish he'd have seemed like he was more on it. But I mean, that feeling of disappointment and wonder, anybody with me on those? 
Yeah. You can't really have tried at faith without experiencing that. And, and you know, you, you might have thought it was just you. Maybe you weren't doing it right. Maybe you were going about it wrong. Maybe you weren't being good enough, didn't have enough faith, whatever. But there, there, there's a couple of things that make this dynamic even worse when you're experiencing it. When you're in the middle of those unanswered prayers, one of the things that make it worse are people like me preachers, because we'll get up here and we'll talk about things in um, theoretical form and we'll make it sound, you know, so easy and inspirational and you'll go out the door thinking, all right, well, I got it now and I'm going to do it. And then it's just nothing, Um, you know, and, and, you know, you look around and it seems to be working when everybody else does what the preacher says, but not you. And so uh, am I wrong? Is the preacher wrong? Is God just not there? What's going on? Um, Another one of the things that makes it hard, it's not just preachers, but like, other people around you, right? When it seems to be working out for them and you don't seem to be able to ever catch a break. And all of the things that they're praying for and asking for, I mean, that it, it, it's happening. And you look around and like a lot of those people, like they're not even good people. And they don't even like try to pretend to be. And you're like, I'm out here like giving an honest go of it. I'm trying to do what it is I think I'm supposed to do. And here's these people that just aren't. And it seems like God's blessings are falling on them. I, I have a friend who planted a church up in Atlanta and he, you know, he's, he's one of the, you know, he's one of the most genuine guys that I know. And like truly wants to do what's right and follow after God. And man, just they were struggling, struggling, struggling with this church. And there was another church that opened up the same time. And like, it just exploded. Like within months, it was like at like 12, 1500 people. And he was just struggling. And it turns out the whole time, the guy that started the other church was having an affair with the secretary from the beginning. Why is God blessing that church? Why do they seem to be growing? Why is it so difficult for me? And it's hard to make sense of it when you look around at other people and you're like, well, clearly it's not behavior because look at these people again. And so that, that makes it difficult. Um, Christian friends make it really difficult sometimes when you're in, in those situations because um, as well-intentioned as it is sometimes, uh, things are offered up in excitement and it just makes you feel like, ugh. Like when someone is so excited to tell a story of, I was running late for this appointment and I couldn't find my keys and I was looking everywhere. And all of a sudden I just said, God, help me find my keys. And then I looked down and there were my keys and thank God. And you're like, wow, I'm glad God helped you find your keys, but my dad's dying. Like, what am I to do with that? How come he's not helping with that? And you're not, and you know, and and when you're in that, you know, you find yourself kind of becoming resentful of these other things. And it just is kind of a, ah, and it's tough. And this is why so many people struggle in their faith journey. Because they kind of do what they think that they're supposed to do. And and you don't really want to abandon God when you start having these struggles. You you don't want to live without faith, but trying to figure out what is going on and how it works. I mean, that's really Difficult. And so the question is, is what do you do when you've prayed and you've done what you know to do? And it seems like God is just inattentive, uncooperative, or late. Because after a while, and after so many unanswered prayers, 
even for the most faithful among us, faith begins to erode. You, you can only go so long without hearing from God and so long without feeling like he's on your side before you start to wonder, does, does God's silence mean he's absent? If he isn't answering my prayers, is it because maybe this whole thing really has just been a societal crutch and God's not even really there? Maybe if God isn't engaging with my needs and helping me out here, perhaps he isn't the type of God that actually is set up to care for me individually at all. Maybe he's just some big picture God and I'm just a cog in the machine somehow. And you begin to wonder and confidence begins to erode and you begin to struggle with your faith. So what I wanna do for the next couple of weeks, and I don't know how many weeks, because the way the Bible's set up, I could talk about these stories for a long time. But I wanna look at a few stories of people who weren't just peripheral people within the scriptures in the, the story of, of, of the Bible. They're people that were, they were, they were integral pieces. And God knew their name. Jesus knew their name. But yet they found themselves thinking that, huh, God's not really paying attention here. He's not being very cooperative with what's happening in my personal story. And maybe he's gonna do something, but he's pretty late. To the ball game. And here's my goal. My goal through this is that we can realize that through seasons of life where it seems like God is absent, where it seems like he doesn't hear our prayers, where it seems like he's not interacting on our behalf, that we can realize that in fact, God still is walking beside us and that we are not alone. And we don't have to, this is the big one, that we don't have to associate the difficulties of life with the character of God and how God feels about us. So the story I wanna look at this week, um, the story actually starts before the story. The, the, the pre-story to the story um, is Herod the Great, Herod the Builder. He, he, um, he had been put in charge of Israel by, by Rome he was not a Jewish man, but he had made his reputation um, because he was a great builder and he created things. And so he, he had gotten himself to a point to where the, the Rome, uh, Rome said, all right, we're gonna let you be in charge of Israel and here's what you gotta do here. You can keep building things there if you want. That's great. You can do that. Um, but we just basically need you to collect our money and keep the peace. And as long as those two things happen, then we're gonna leave you be. And what that created was an environment where Herod could pretty much do whatever he wanted to do. And what he chose to do was not good. <laughs> he was a bad, bad man. He, he had wives killed. Um, he had mother-in-laws killed. He had babies killed. Like this is the kind of guy he was. In, in fact, Herod knowing that he was such a terrible person, knowing how all of the people um, of Jerusalem felt about him, he actually had, he actually had many of the prominent uh, Jewish leaders 
religious leaders rounded up and put into jail as he was getting close to death because he wanted mourning in the streets on the day that he died. And so he had these guys all jailed and, and the plan was, the instruction was, is on the day that I die, you're to kill all of these people because surely that would cause great sorrow in the streets of Jerusalem on the day of my death. Now, luckily, the people, who, <laughs> the people who were in charge for a minute behind him were not near as terrible as he was. And when, when Herod died on that day, they released all those people back to Jerusalem and there was joy and shouting <laughs> in the streets. Um, but here's what happened. Once he died, Rome was like, all right, this is kind of a big area for one guy to be taken care of. So they split, they split the nation of Israel in half. And they gave Herod's son the southern part, which is Judea is how we refer to that. But Herod's son was named Herod Archelaus. And so he got the southern part of the country. Now the northern part, which is Galilee, Herod Antipas, another one of Herod's sons. And if you're like, wow, were all of his sons named Herod? Yeah, they were. <laughs> because that's the guy that Herod was. Like he was that terror. He's like, I want my legacy to live on so everyone will be named after me. And so his, other, his second son, Herod Antipas, he got the northern part of the kingdom. He was in charge of, of the area that, that we know as Galilee. Then Herod Philip, another son, um, he got to rule nothing. <laughs> but he did get a lot of money. And they're like, okay, here you go. You're not gonna get to rule a part of the kingdom, but here's some money. You can go and have that. Um, and then Herod had a niece and her name was Herodias. <laughs> so yes, when he said everyone will be named after me, he wasn't kidding. So his niece, Herodias, um, she ended up marrying Herod Philip, who had gotten all of the money, but was in charge of nothing. And so she kind of like enjoyed uh, having the money and being able to do that. But eventually that, that wasn't enough. And so she wanted to be in a little better uh, position of prominence. And so she decided to leave uh, Herod Philip and run off with his brother, Herod Antipas, who had been put in charge of Galilee. Now, once this has happened, there's a guy who shows up on the scene named John the Baptist. Most of us are familiar with John the Baptist. Well, John the Baptist, he would show up and he would start preaching and large crowds would gather. And one of his favorite bits that he would do during his sermons, which just for a side note, um, <clears throat> sometimes you guys get tired because you feel like I talk about similar things a lot. Um, listen, these guys had about four sermons <laughs> that they rotated through because there was a message they were trying to drive across. And part of John the Baptist's uh, four messages, which he would do anytime anybody important was there, was he loved to point out the sins of the important. And so Herod, who was in charge of that whole area, had all of the authority of Rome behind him. He would show up to the crowd sometimes when John the Baptist was speaking and John the Baptist would point his finger and he would say, you, you have taken your brother's wife. Shame on you. And every once in a while, Herodias would be around and he would point, you, you, 
left your husband to be with his brother. But John the Baptist kind of became a hero amongst the people because he wasn't afraid of anybody. He would say whatever he wanted to say to whoever he wanted to say it to without fear of repercussion. Well, as everybody who's ever lived knows, you can only taunt and call out power for so long before power reacts. And so Herod has John arrested. Enough of this, enough of this. And the reason that he arrested John was not because really he was tired of John or not because really he feared John, but the reason that he had John arrested was because he was afraid of Herodias, his brother's wife, who was now with him. So here we go. Here's, here's where we pick up the story. Mark chapter six, beginning in verse 17. For Herod himself had given orders to have John arrested and he had him bound and put in prison. And he did this because of Herodias, his brother Philip's wife, whom he had married. And I love when the gospel writers throw in these digs. Like they couldn't just say, the gospel writer couldn't say, he did this because he was afraid of his wife Herodias. No, 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 no. It's his brother's wife who he married. For John had been saying to Herod, it is not lawful for you to have your brother's wife. So Herodias nursed a grudge against John and wanted to kill him. This bothered Herodias so bad. She just didn't want him removed from the scene. She wanted him removed from the face of the earth. Like she wanted him out of here, partly because every time John pointed his finger and said, it is not lawful, for you two to be together, that conscience, her conscience would bite because there's no defense. She knew she was wrong. The other part was because, man, being called out, she just hated the dude. Like, who does this guy, this weird man, think that he is calling me out? I am Herodias, niece of Herod the Great, wife of the ruler of Galilee. So she didn't like him. She wanted him dead, but she was not able to because Herod feared John and protected him, knowing him to be a righteous and holy man. And when Herod heard John, he was greatly puzzled, yet he liked to listen to him, which is an amazing sentence. Because even though every time Herod would show up and hear John speak, John would point his finger and say, it's unlawful for you to be with your brother's wife. There was something within that, that even though he was being called out, he found comfort in hearing the words of John. Now granted, maybe most of the other words, but he found comfort in it. Because on some level, I believe his soul recognized the truth that John was speaking and there was something that resonated inside of him. That even though I'm being called out, I need to hear this. But he knew John was a good guy. He knew John had done nothing to deserve death. So he's like, all right, well, I, I, can, I can have him arrested, but I cannot have him killed. I can't do it. I can't go that far. 
I'm not going to do it. Now, now here's, here's the tough part of this story. Tough part of this story is that now all of a sudden you have John in prison. And John's not just some side character in the story of the Gospels. This is John who announced the arrival of Jesus. A few series back, we spent a couple of weeks on that. That amazing moment when Jesus shows up at the river and John announces, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. This is the one we all have been waiting on. This is John who told his own disciples, follow Jesus. Because you got to understand in that time period, everything was about accumulating followers, accumulating influence, accumulating any kind of power that you could accumulate. And here's John saying to his followers, the guys who have devoted themselves to him, no, 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 no. Jesus is far greater than I. Go, I release you, follow him. He's the one who told the Pharisees, the religious leaders of the time, this man is the Messiah. He's the one who prepared people and baptized people into the movement. This is John who did everything right. You cannot find fault in what John did. And so if there was ever a time for an answered prayer, if there was ever a time for God to step in and intervene on behalf of someone, like it would be John, the cousin of Jesus, who played such an important role in getting the whole thing going. But yet there he sat in chains, in prison. Now John's followers would come on a fairly regular basis and visit him. And on one of those visits, uh, he gave them an assignment, a task to complete for him, which had to have been embarrassing for him but even more so it had to be embarrassing for his followers as they just like, were like, oh my gosh, you want us to do what? What is everyone around gonna say and think when we do this? He, he basically gave them a task to go and ask Jesus a question. And he, here's, here's what he asked. So Matthew chapter 11, we, we find him given this task. When, when John heard in prison what the Messiah was doing, he sent his disciples to ask him, are you the one who was to come or should, you, should we expect someone else? <laughs> to which when you read that, all of a sudden you're like, wait, what? No, John, you just had this big dramatic moment where you announced to everybody, he is the one. John, we, we, we have record of when you were still in the womb of your mother, when Mary walked in and was pregnant and you sensed the presence as in, the, in the womb, sensed the presence of Jesus, the Messiah, that you leapt in the womb. This is how integrated he was to the whole thing. John, people have left what was their lifetime of faith to buy into Jesus because of you. And now you find yourself in prison 
and your prayer for God's intervention is not being answered. And all of the sudden you're like, huh, maybe he's not the one. Maybe Jesus isn't who I thought he was. <laughs> maybe, maybe, maybe I've made a mistake. And when I read stuff like that in the gospels, oh my goodness, does it make me feel better. Because how many of us have had those experiences where at one point we were so confident in our faith and then all of a sudden something happens in our life and our circumstances change and God doesn't respond the way we think God should respond. And then all of a sudden we're like, wait a minute, is God who I thought he was? Should I have been doing something else all this time? Have I, have I made a mistake here? And listen, this is where so many of us live. And John's disciples, they're thinking like, okay, John, we can go and ask that question if you want, but it's gonna be really embarrassing because John, here's what's gonna have to happen. To ask this question, we're probably gonna have to interrupt some miracles. <laughs> right? Because Jesus was doing a whole lot of miracles at that time. Jesus, 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 I know that you just healed this person in front of us, but we need to ask, uh, are you the guy? Jesus, Jesus, I know that you just gave this amazing teaching that completely blew everybody's mind. Half the people don't even really know what it's about, but uh, can we trust in you? Are you the guy? And it's amazing how even with, from, from people who were key to the gospel message, all the way down to us, a couple thousand of years later, it is amazing how a change in circumstance and a few unanswered prayers can suddenly begin to impact our faith and impact our trust in God. And we know it doesn't make sense, but it's a real feeling. It's a real struggle that we all have. And, and, and we go through things and there's something very inherently selfish about our faith. Especially American Christianity. There's something very surface about it because we tend to lose faith in God and we tend to begin to struggle and question our faith. Um, when our circumstances go bad. And the thing that, that in and of itself isn't necessarily selfish, but what makes it selfish is that that doesn't seem to happen for us when things are going bad for other people. For example, we just went through one week in the United States of America in the year 2019. We just went through one week were people who had showed up to go shopping, were people who had showed up to enjoy a community festival, were people who had gone out to enjoy an evening on the town, were gunned down at a rate of 35 deaths and 50 additional people shot in a week. When we hear that, we're sad. There may be a part of us that gets angry. 
But I don't think there's too many of us that it shakes our faith. And I'm not saying that doesn't happen, but in general, we'll say a prayer. We may make some, some Facebook comments about what we think are the causes and fixes and we'll be sad about it, we'll be angry about it, but we won't really question our faith. Um, but something happens to us. Our circumstances go bad, all of the sudden, it's where is God? Who is God? Because that seems to be the, the effect of unanswered prayers to us. How could, how could God let this happen? Why, why isn't he answering my prayers? Is he even there? And if he is, does he care? And, and so what we do is this, let me put it this way. How we operate is I lose faith when God is inattentive to my happiness and well-being, not when he's inattentive to your happiness and well-being. That's how most of us operate. And why are we so prone to this? Why is this something that we struggle with? Why, why is this our default? Here's why. It's because in the middle of a dry season of prayer, in the middle of a time when God doesn't seem to be responding um, to our crisis and our circumstances, our worldview tends to shrink to the size of us. We get to a point to where we're not able to look out beyond what's immediately happening to us for perspective. We can't see beyond ourselves. So here, here's John the Baptist. After everything that he had seen and done, he, he, he was there for some of Jesus' miracles. He saw, I mean, my goodness, right after his declaration of, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. I mean, the clouds opened up and the Spirit of the Lord descended upon Jesus. John was standing right next to him when that happened. But as soon as circumstances went bad for John and prayers of release went unanswered, all of a sudden, John's worldview shrunk to the size of his cell. And he began to doubt and wonder. Now, you don't think the cousin of Jesus who declared him the Messiah had prayed about the situation? Of course he had. So John's disciples are like, all right, John, we'll go ask Jesus this question for you. So I'm not sure if they interrupted an actual miracle or teaching, but they found an opportunity to talk to Jesus. And, and they asked Jesus, Jesus, you know, you know, John, your cousin. Yeah, 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 I know John. You know, he's in prison, right? Yeah, yeah, I, I heard that. Well, okay, well, that's weird that you're going the other way, like to the beach and not towards the prison, but okay. Well, well he, he sent us to ask you a question. Okay, wh what's the question? Lay it on me. Well, Jesus, can, can we step away from the crowd and ask this question? Uh, we don't, okay, okay, what's the question? Okay, Jesus, John wants to know, are you, are you really the one? Here, here's what Jesus did not say in response to that question. He did not say, well, of course I am. That wasn't his answer. He, he also didn't say, well, yeah, 
I am the one. And, and don't worry about it. I'm breaking him out tonight. Just be patient. I got a plan. We're, we're going to get him out of there. Here's, here's, what he, here's what he actually says. And listen, what Jesus says in response to John is, is for all of us when God seems inattentive to our situations and prayers. Here's what Jesus said. They said, you know, are you the one? John wants to know. Jesus replies, go back and report to John what you hear and see. Now, why would he say that? Because he wants John to regain the bigger perspective. Because right now, John can't see past the bars of the window of his cell. That is where he's trapped. John's pain, John's situation had shrunk him to only his circumstances. And listen, when your personal worldview is shrunk to your circumstances and all you can see is God not operating, I promise you, God is still operating. He's still at work. Jesus says, go back, tell him what you hear and see. And here's what he told him to tell him. The blind are receiving sight. The lame walk. Those who have leprosy are cleansed. The deaf hear, the dead are raised and the good news is proclaimed to the poor. And they're like sitting there taking notes. Okay, okay, wait, 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 Jesus. What was after the deaf? I don't, I missed that. He's like, yeah, dead raised. Oh yeah, that was the important one. I knew there was a good one in there. And so they're taking notes and they're getting ready to leave. And they're like, okay, Jesus, we got this list of great things to tell John. We're gonna go. And Jesus says, wait, 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 wait. One more thing. And listen, I can't stress this part enough because this has huge implications for us. Jesus says, one more thing before you go. Don't just remind him that everything is bigger than just what he can see right now. He says, blessed is anyone who does not stumble on account of me. <laughs> to which I hear Jesus say that and I think, what? What, what are you talking about? Wait, Jesus, are you saying that you might actually do or say something that will cause us to stumble? To <laughs> which Jesus would be like, yeah. Yeah, I'm gonna do that. Wait, 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 Jesus. So you know that John is in prison and stumbling. He's struggling with his faith in you. You know that? Yeah, I know that. And I know it's my fault. I'm, I'm perfectly aware. Wait, 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 Jesus. So does that mean you don't like John? And Jesus would be like, well, no, that's not it at all. Listen to what Jesus has to say about John. He says, truly, I tell you, among those born of women, there has not risen anyone greater than John the Baptist. So in other words, you know, just officers were like, wait, 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 wait. You're not doing anything to get him out. So does that mean you're mad at him, that you don't like him? And Jesus is like, no, quite the opposite. John the Baptist is the greatest man to ever live so far. But you're gonna leave him in prison, Jesus? Yes. 
Listen, John was going to be in prison no matter how much faith he had. He could have faithed himself to death. His fate was prison. John was gonna be in prison no matter how obedient he was. John was gonna be in prison no matter how hard and fervently he prayed to get out of prison because that was part of God's plan for John. Now, here's why this is good news for you and I. And here's why we could walk out of here and not be totally bummed out about all of this today. It's because it means this, is that your personal circumstances, especially when they are bad, do not reflect how God feels about you. And that is something that has been kind of twisted and manipulated and leveraged over people for a long time. Oh, your circumstances are bad? Well, that's because God's upset with you. That's because God doesn't approve of you. That's because you're not behaving properly. That's because of you, 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 and you. But what had John the Baptist done? to find himself in this situation. This was not about him. And, and it's easy for us to think that our, our circumstances directly correlate to how God feels about us because when we're in a dry spell, when God's not responding to prayers, when we don't feel like we can feel God, we begin to draw this conclusion that our circumstances are a direct result of God being like, well, you're not doing it right and I'm not caring for you right now. So here we go, bad things in your life. And man, nothing could be further from the truth. Listen, if you want proof about how God feels about you, you do not need to look any further than the cross. As God sent his son to be the sacrifice for our sins, to establish relationship within us. The cross and the resurrection tell us everything we need to know about how God feels about us. Not what's happening at home, at school, at work, in our relationships. No, those are all little picture things. And when we're in the little picture things, we lose track of the big picture things. And here's John the Baptist, cousin and forerunner of Jesus, left sitting in prison. And the response from Jesus was, hey, tell him not to fall away on account of me. That's a big deal. There are a lot of implications there. And this is one of those truths that we absolutely hate because it's not emotionally satisfying. It doesn't play into the feel good Christianity that God's always gonna have our back and put us right where we think we need to be or where we wanna be. But when we're in a desert, man, this is a truth we wanna cling to for all we have. So what do we do when in our lives, God seems inattentive and unresponsive? And it seems like our prayers are just completely fruitless and we're wasting our time. Here's, here's the modern version of Jesus' answer to all of this. Here's, 
you should look back in your life and recognize and remember what God has done for you in the past. Man, Karen, when she was talking last week about her experience with prayer, talked about keeping that journal where she would be able to go back and see how God responded to different prayers. That's an amazing idea because it's so easy in a bad moment to forget the things that God has done for us throughout the course of our life. And we're to lift our heads out of our own circumstances, even though those are what are right there in front of us. And look up to what God is up to in the lives of those around you and in the rest of the world. Okay, Andy, okay, okay, okay. So if I, if I you know, look up, see what God's doing in the rest of the world, and then you know, look back and remember everything that he's done for me, if I do that, okay, th- then God's gonna start answering my prayers then, right? <laughs> well, the story doesn't end well for John. The story ends up with John's head served to Herodias on a platter. I'm pretty sure none of John's prayers included that. And I know that's not an inspirational ending. We could have done without that part. But this is one of those things that just convinces me even more that what the gospels say are true. Because if you're writing a story to convince people and inspire people to follow you, writing a story in there about, hey, if you do everything right, you might end up in prison and your head chopped off. (laughs) That's not the way to inspire confidence in your followers. But here's the bottom line. Just because you cannot see God at work does not mean God is not at work. And just because your circumstances may be bleak, it doesn't mean that it is a reflection of the way that God feels about you. And in those times, prayer is more important than ever, but not the prayers that we normally pray where we're saying, hey God, here's what needs done, please do it. Those prayers that Jesus taught about of God, bring me into alignment. Bend my will to yours. God, help me to understand where I'm at and what you are doing through it and remind me of the bigger picture. But it might still end up bad. And that's a difficult thing to grapple with. But you can't go through this journey of faith and not grapple with it. So prayer. When it's not answered and God seems absent, what do you do? You remember what he's done in the past and you look over your own circumstances and try to see him at work in the bigger picture. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, this is, on one hand, this is inspirational to me. On the other hand, this is, a difficult truth. God, even if we did everything right, you might not come through the way we need you to come through. Lord, we see this over and over and over again in the scriptures. 
Lord, I pray that as we struggle through this thing called prayer sometimes, when it seems like you're absent or inattentive or uncooperative, that, Lord, you help us to look up beyond our own circumstances. And remember that, that we're part of a larger narrative. And Lord, I pray that in these moments that when we pray the way Jesus taught us to pray, that inexplicably our faith and our trust grows deeper, not more fragile. That we can know with full confidence and an unexplainable peace that even in the difficult circumstances, our God walks beside us. I can't imagine a better answer to prayer than that. Lord, I thank you that even through the doubts and the questioning and the fragility of our faith at times, Lord, that you stick by us and draw us back to you. Lord, I thank you for your mercy and for your grace. Be with us as we go. In your name, amen. Amen. Thank you so much for being out. Join us next week as we continue talking about prayer.